with key players like Carlos Rodon being one and done in San Francisco, people have grown a little bit tired of the short-term deals and opt-outs, and it could happen again with the likes of Michael Conforto following the 2023 season. But is this more of a long-term strategy, or is it something to just hold them over while their farm system hopefully turns out some talent? We'll get into it next. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on the show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get podcasts. And coming up on today's show, we're going to get to some more mailbag questions. The first one coming from Mac, who says, Do you think the two-year deals with opt-outs for free agents is how this front office prefers to operate? Or is this just a temporary strategy until the farm starts producing at the big league level? would like to see some players stick around for a while. And Mac, you're not alone. A lot of people have this complaint. And I, I, I address this question quite a bit and talk about it just kind of intermittently on the show. And for me, it is clearly kind of a stopgap type of plan. It is not necessarily how they prefer to operate. And what what the issue that you're seeing is that these are some of the key players on each year's team. I mean, for a guy like Carlos Rodon, imagine if you already had like a star-studded team that was homegrown. Like, imagine if you've got a young Buster Posey and Tim Lincecum and Matt Kane and Madison Bumgarner, and you're able to add a guy like Rodon on this deal. It would be less of a big deal if and when he leaves in free agency because you've already got that core. And, and so I think they like this strategy because it allows them to get potentially impact players for it without having to take on the risk of a long-term deal, especially for pitchers who quite often have a tendency to break down and just fall apart in the midst of, you know, after signing big contracts. I mean, Madison Bumgarner comes to mind leaving going to the Diamondbacks. It's been a disaster in Arizona. And Patrick Corbin comes to mind. Steven Strasburg has been a huge disaster in Washington. And so I don't think like, yeah, you want to see players stick around for a while. I think there's two ways that happens. Number one is through the farm system, because as I've said a million times, and it's just the facts of the matter that uh, players who kind of debut in the major leagues are under team control for six years of service. And so if they're, if they stay in the league every day, and don't get sent down at any point, you get at least six seasons and often seven, because if you come up kind of midway through your first season, that doesn't count as a full year. And so you get six or seven years out of a guy who never gets sent down to the minors once they debut with you. And, you know, often they do get sent down a couple times, like think of Joey Bart, for example, Camilo Duvall, for example, Logan Webb. I don't know that he was ever sent down. I think he probably was. Uh, But you know, these are the guys. And so imagine if you do start to get true impact talent like they've had in the past, you know, every team does this where you develop your own stars. And so that's just going to be 
one way to solve this problem. But then also think about the guys they've tried to sign the exceptions to the rule. Uh, superstars. Just in their prime, great players, no questions about it. I mean, there turned out there was a question about Carlos Correa, but 13 years, $350 million for Carlos Correa. They, they're willing to give the big contract to the superstars. But for these guys, I mean, they also like these shorter, like a guy like Michael Conforto. He's not a superstar, but if he had entered free agency like two years ago, he would have been in line for a hundred plus million dollar contract. And so when you're able to get these guys, that's the thing. It's like Conforto, he co- he's coming off a year in which he missed all of the season because of the shoulder surgery. So you're not he's not going to get that contract right now. So they see it as a nice opportunity to get a good player who, you know, has the upside of being really, really good. But also there's some risk, but they're, they don't mind that risk because of the fact that it's short term and, you know, cheap, basically speaking, you know, it's just like Carlos Rodon in that it's like, hey, we have a good shot here of getting really good production. And it's just a two year, $44 million deal with an opt out. And so only 21 and a half was guaranteed or something like that. So anyway, I think in free agency, you're going to see either like modest deals or huge deals, but probably not much in the middle class there because those they just don't they don't think the risk reward payoff is there, I don't think, in that there's a lot of, you know, if, if it goes poorly, I don't know. I just, I kind of tend to agree with that. Like these guys in the 80, 90 million dollar range go out and get the superstar or get the guys on the short term deals. But it only stands out so much because right now these are like some of the key members of your team. But if you've got that homegrown base of talent, it's not going to bother people so much, I don't think. And it's a nice way to plug some holes. And it's worked out pretty well. I mean, getting what they got out of Rodon is nothing to complain about for 2023. You can complain if you want. But I mean, in reality, a lot of teams don't have that kind of success where they get, you know, a free agent comes and they have that much success. It's it's at least a positive. There are negatives, but there's also huge positives in that they're getting great production out of these players. Like Kevin Gosman was great when he's been here. Plenty of teams go out and sign a guy for like five years, 90 million, and he has a five ERA over the span of that contract. Whereas you got three consecutive years of an ace going year to year with Gosman year one, Gosman year two, and then Rodon year three. You get ace, ace, ace. And that's not, you know, that is something they deserve credit for as much as there are complaints with the strategy. So coming up in just a minute, we'll get to several more questions. That one took up a lot of time. But is there a chance Casey Schmidt, who's had an impressive spring thus far, is there a possibility that he can play really well and possibly take over the third base role on opening day if VR struggles in spring? So we'll get into it in just a minute. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories? You've got to try a Built Bar. We, you know, by this point, people's New Year's resolutions are probably falling off. And I've got something to tell you. If your New Year's, re- New Year's resolution is to eat healthier, I, you've got to try a Built Bar because with built healthy is actually tasty you do not have to sacrifice flavor at all we're talking candy bar deliciousness and unbelievable flavors 
and yet healthy macros, just 130 calories, just four grams of sugar and a whopping 17 grams of protein. That is a lot in a typical bar. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box. If you go to Walmart, go to the pharmacy section, you can grab yourself a four bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puffs. And if you're near Sam's Club, you can run in and grab a 13-bar box with Hit Flavors, brownie batter, and churro. Mmm, you can thank me later. All right, as promised, we're going to get to more questions and answers. The next one coming from Brandon Crawford. Probably not the real Brandon Crawford, but or, you know, the one we all know, Brandon Crawford. But Brandon Crawford says, do you think Casey Schmidt can take over at third base in spring training if David VR doesn't play well? And the answer is almost certainly no, because Casey Schmidt, I mean, he barely has any experience above the A-ball level. He played just not much in double-A, and then they fast-tracked him to triple-A, where he played in like four games at the end of the season. And so while, you know, yesterday we talked about being impressed by Casey Schmidt, and he had another... uh good couple good at bats yesterday as well but I just don't think they want to rush him and the thing is they've got some contingency plans so if David VR really struggles he does you know he is a guy who can be optioned and so that's a possibility but they also have others on the roster like JD Davis and Wilmer Flores who could potentially play third and now you might be thinking and I'm thinking that you know defensively that that's not really what you want you really do want to have David VR have that opportunity, although defensively, I'm not sure exactly what you're going to get out of VR. And we saw some good, we saw some bad last year. But, you know, J.D. Davis, they, they're they said to be kind of working on some of the issues he's had defensively, something as subtle as like when he's coming in on a ground ball, his right foot kind of points away from first base, which caused him to take like an extra crow hop to get his momentum moving to first. And so they've kind of cleaned that up. And so he's been apparently doing better. But that's one of those things where, you know, time will tell. But I don't think they're just going to rush Schmidt. The only way I see it is if like VR gets injured and then like JD Davis also gets injured. I've also thought about, okay, if Brandon Crawford gets injured and maybe also Tyro Estrada, suddenly you're kind of looking for players to play in the middle infield and maybe Schmidt could they maybe they believe he could play short to kind of fill in defensively for a Brandon Crawford. So all these scenarios I think are unlikely and the most like of course your question wasn't is it likely or not it was is there a possibility. I think it's a low possibility and a lot would have to go wrong for that to happen and it's like almost zero basically and but they so he's going to go to AAA and if he proves he can really hit in AAA and continues to play good defense, then you definitely could see him at some point in 2023. Next question comes from James, who says, is it a make or break season for Farhan Zaidi? He's entering year five and has very little to show from a farm system slash free agency standpoint. And okay, is it a make or break season? I mean, in the minds of who, in the eyes of who? Because if it's the fans, I feel like every year is a make or break season. You're going to have fans reacting strongly. I mean, last year, there was a lot of fan reaction. If the Giants like finished below 500, obviously that would mean missing the playoffs and you know their farm system kind of stalls out again, then there is a scenario in which you know the frustration grows really, really loud and maybe ownership support starts to slip a little bit. But I'm pretty sure they've probably already extended Farhan Zaidi. 
They have not publicly said this, but technically, according to what we know, this was the final year of his initial five-year contract. We're entering year five of that contract. And so, and okay, so I'm just going to follow up on your points. Very little to show for a farm system from a farm system slash free agency standpoint. Okay, I mean, we'll we'll see. Their farm system kind of took a step back last year, but also there's a lot of guys that I'm kind of higher on now than than I was for the last several years. And a lot of it is proximity to the major leagues. So finally, the guys that this front office has drafted and developed are going to start showing up. And so before that, you're looking at, you know, players the previous front office drafted well and partially developed, and then the new regime took over and took on that development. But we're talking about Joey Bart. I mean, that's not on Farhan Zaidi. Elliot Ramos, that's not on Farhan Zaidi. But you look at they have not had a lot of success or any success with their first round picks, but that's also true of the previous regime for the last, you know, since, since, you know, the Posey was Bumgarner first round pick since that era, Lincecum, when they just had so much success with their first round picks, uh, they haven't for like a decade. But you also look at the 2020 draft, like to me, actually sneakily looks pretty darn good. And you've got guys like Casey Schmidt and Kyle Harrison, who's, you know, if Kyle Harrison comes up and becomes an ace of, you know, an ace pitcher, then also they've had a lot of success with, you know, developing, not a lot, but with like Logan Webb is a huge developmental success story. Not a lot of people thought Webb was going to be this good. He wasn't a top prospect. Also, Camilo Duvall huge developmental success there. And then from a free agency standpoint, I just disagree. And I kind of mentioned it with the first question with Rodon and Gosman and stuff. You're getting like $150 million type player, $150 million player type production each of three seasons in a row out of Gosman, Gosman, Rodon. Also what they, you know, have gotten out of Cobb. I, you know, the peripherals, obviously we're kind of taking a gamble on, the actual results matching up with the peripherals in 2023, which I think they should. That's usually how it works. And, you know, the success of a Anthony DiSclefani and an Alex Wood in year one obviously didn't go that way in year two, but there's been a lot of success with their free agents. Wilmer Flores has been a kind of positive success story and a guy they didn't sign for very much. Obviously, Tommy LaStella was not. So you're not going to hit on all of them, but you know, Mike Yastrzemski was a success. Lamont Wade Jr. in year one was a success. So Yastrzemski, it's like you don't have to be a star to be a good player. And Yastrzemski has become just a solid player. Jock Peterson was a was a good signing. And I don't know. Also, like the developmental stuff with the hitters, the fact that they hit so well in 2020 and 2021, I chalked that up to the coaching staff. But the coaching staff hired by the manager, Gabe Kapler, who was hired by Farhan Zaidi. And so there's a lot of positives. I think it's kind of hyperbole and also maybe missing some key points by saying basically there's nothing to show for five years. There's a lot that's gone well. There are definitely some things that have not gone well. But uh, I think it is an important year. If they, like I said, if they kind of f- have another disappointing season, you start to really question was 2021 like a total, uh, just kind of fluky. Obviously, 107 wins is was not a sustainable number there, but it is an important year perceptually. And, but I think ownership is kind of behind him regardless. But maybe if it's a disaster, maybe not. We'll see. Anyway. 
The next question that we'll get to in just a minute is about Marco Luciano. There's a lot of variability to where he's come in on some rankings, but how about this? Fangraphs, a site I talk about all the time, had Marco Luciano ranked number 97 in a top 100 list, which is a big fall for him. So what do I think of that? What's going on? And do I believe that's the correct ranking for him? We'll get into it in just a minute, but before we do... All right, as promised, Marco Luciano, is he actually the number 97 prospect now when he's recently been close to the top 10? Anime Consumerism says the Fangraphs top 100 prospect list has Luciano as the number 97 prospect. This appears to be not due to a lack of skill, but rather a high probability of being a bust. Do you believe that this is a fair ranking? And I don't have the list pulled up. I did see this, so I I can't, I'm taking your word for it that he was number 97 exactly. I knew that he was way towards the back end when in previous years, he's been closer to the top 10. What I will say about this is it just shows that different publications don't always agree because I think MLB.com and Baseball Prospectus and even Keith Law. So a lot of kind of ranking publications have Luciano in the top 20-ish, and then some have them have him towards the back end of the top 100. And so what it tells me is there's not a consensus anymore. And for Luciano, a lot of it is just about health. And this is why I don't put too much stock into top 100 lists, because they change from year to year. And if a guy has a season in which he's dealing with a back issue, and then he you know comes out recently that he's got a stress fracture in his back, some people are going to have a hard time putting him in the top 20. And, you know, a lot of times there's so many good players in the league. I really feel like there's a there's like an opportunity here to like research this and figure out which of these publications is the best at ranking guys and how successful are they at ranking guys. And I feel like the the kind of accuracy of these is so poor. And so it's kind of like random and just guesswork, I think. You know, and I I honestly think the MLB draft is a lot of that as well. You look at, you know, a guy like Corbin Carroll, you say the Giants took Hunter Bishop when they could have taken Corbin Carroll. Well, there was like 15 other teams that passed on Corbin Carroll as well. And I bet you if the Diamondbacks were picking first and not whatever they were, like 15th or so, they wouldn't have taken Corbin Carroll, even though they probably should have. And so a lot of it just comes down to like luck and your ability to develop guys, but I don't know. I think it largely it's just fortune and misfortune. And so do I think Luciano, Luciano is number 97? I have no idea. Like it just depends on, it's just really, really hard to pin it down. But clearly by other publications having him like 20th and some having him 97th, you just kind of get a sense for the possibilities and that his uh, variance is really high at this point. He could be really good. He could just fizzle out and be a total bust, but that's just the nature of Everybody in baseball, not just prospects, some years, major leaguers who are like fully established, just completely fall apart. Like think think of Anthony Rendon just having like a fantasy baseball auction I was just having where, you know, players get monetary values. This guy, Anthony Rendon, he was like one of the best third basemen in the game, cost, you know, a lot of money in this fantasy league. And now he's going for like less than $10, which just shows you. And he got this huge contact from the Angels. And now he's just fell apart and it, you know, injuries and underperformance. And all of a sudden it's like, what happened to this guy? And so it just happens. So it's just, baseball is a hard sport to pin down. It's hard to pin down the value of individual players. It changes from year to year. And for Luciano, I mean, when someone 
it's just hard to tell, but the, the, the tools are there. And so I still believe hopefully health is going to be key for him. If he can have a healthy season where he feels good and performs well, he'll shoot back up. I, I promise you. So it, it all just comes down to health and performance, which are tied together. Next question from Funky Duncy, who says, with the new rule changes, is it more or less important to be good at holding runners at first? I can imagine that the amount of total attempts will go down, but those attempts will be more important. I think it's going to be more important to be able to hold runners because not only are there limits on how many times you can throw over, like disengage the rubber, but also the distance between the bases is is a little bit shorter. And so if you kind of stink at holding runners, then runners will probably take advantage of you. And also, if you make a couple kind of pickoff throws that aren't competitive and you've reached your disengagement limit, the runner knows you have to throw to home. The rule is once you make, I think it's the third pickoff attempt in a plate appearance, you have to get the guy out. Otherwise, it's a balk. And so it's a very interesting rule. And if you aren't good at making pickoff throws, then you're kind of in trouble because you're not going to want to do it twice. Because if you do it twice, the the runner knows the third time they can just basically take off. And I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out with the pitch clock and all that. We haven't even spent a lot of time talking about the new rules, but they're really interesting. So at some point during the spring, we're going to spend probably a whole episode talking about all the new rules and what I think about them and what I think the effect is going to be. But uh, I think generally speaking, you want to, it's going to be more important to be able to hold runners on well. So the next question from KM McConnell, who says, who will have a longer leash on the 26 man roster, JD Davis or Lamont Wade Jr. You've spoken to each's value and role, but if they don't perform, which would lose their roster spot first? If they don't perform, that's the thing. I think like, so I guess imagine a scenario in which neither of them is performing, who would lose their roster spot first. JD Davis technically can be optioned. Like he still has less than five years of service time after which you can't be optioned without your consent, but he's a little bit less. So like 50 days or so, I think until he reaches that five years of service time plateau. And uh, so this is a tough one. I feel like they're kind of on equal ground here. J.D. Davis has the quote-unquote disadvantage of, as many have pointed out a million times, being somewhat similar to Wilmer Flores and David VR. except I don't totally see it that way. As you're pointing out, I've spoken to each's value, like J.D. Davis. I've spoken to, you know, Wilmer Flores looks like a platoon partner at first base with Lamont Wade Jr. J.D. Davis looks like a platoon partner at DH with Jock Peterson, and David VR looks like the starting third baseman. And so I can't really take VR uh, Davis off the roster because then I'm left with who's going to platoon with Jock Peterson. And you say, OK, Wilmer Flores. Well, then I say, who's going to platoon with Wade? But then you're saying, <laughs> which one, Wade or Davis? I honestly think it's Lamont Wade Jr. Just because he's less of an established player. We know what we're going to get out of J.D. Davis for the most part. The dude can really, really hit and he hits lefties or righties. And so if Wade Jr. is struggling, his value is already somewhat limited in being a platoon player. And for Davis, he hits lefties and righties. And so if like Jock Peterson got hurt, you could have J.D. Davis be an everyday DH to me. And if Lamont Wade Jr. got hurt, you could have J.D. Davis perhaps be an everyday first baseman, although I'd probably go to Wilmer Flores there, I guess. Maybe it would be a platoon where Flores 
is against lefties and Davis against righties because Davis doesn't have those strong platoon splits that Flores has and Wade has. So it's a tough question, but uh, you know, I, I think I'm probably going with an unpopular opinion saying it's Wade. I think most people probably think it's Davis because of that quote unquote redundancy with VR and Flores. But as I have said, I do not see it as a redundancy. And if you take one of them away, there's there's a clear hole on the roster that's pretty apparent and problematic to me. But I feel like Wade could potentially be replaceable by someone like J.D. Davis just getting everyday starts at first base. But, you know, the defense becomes a question. So it's a it's a tough call. Next question from Bonita, who says, do you think there's any way Steven Piscotti will make the roster? And for me, I view Piscotti as like Austin Slater insurance. I think that the only way I see Piscotti making the opening day roster is through injury to somebody else who currently projects onto the roster. And I think the most obvious guy would be Austin Slater. Because, you know, if you look at Piscotti's, I mean, he plays the outfield. I don't think I've even mentioned that they signed him to a minor league deal, but, you know, he was good with the Cardinals. He was traded to the A's. He was good in his first year with the A's. And then like three or four years since that first year with the A's, he's been bad. And the A's actually, you know, the A's who were terrible last year cut him loose in the middle of last season. And so they signed him to a minor league deal from the Bay Area. And I don't know. I mean, he's got a track record of being a good major league player. He's another example of a guy who just was good and then fell apart and became completely nothing like in a very quick time frame, which happens all the time in baseball. And yeah, so I don't see him like if you think about the outfield, you've got Conforto, you've got Hanniger, you've got Yastrzemski and you've got Slater. And then you've got guys like, you know, uh, Jock Peterson and Tyro Estrada and Lamont Wade Jr., who are capable of playing the outfield if those four kind of go one of those four or more go down. But for Piscotti, I mean, if, if if Slater goes down, somebody I think needs to be platooned out there whether it's Conforto or Yastrzemski. And I think it's most likely going to be Yastrzemski. And so it wouldn't be great defensively, though, if you have, you're not going to have Piscotti in center field. And so I don't know exactly what they would do. I think that's in that case, you'd probably see like Yastrzemski play every day and then maybe uh, Piscotti is platooning with Conforto. I don't know exactly. And so it's hard to see how Piscotti fits, but so I've heard him say he's happy to like accept an assignment to the minors. And basically maybe if like, maybe he's Hanniger insurance and maybe you platoon at that spot with Yastrzemski and Piscotti and then Slater plays every day providing defensive value. I don't know, but only in an, only in the event of an injury, do I see Piscotti getting a shot on this roster. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen. Now for your second listen, check out Lockdown Fantasy Baseball. Win your league by listening to Matt and Dom every day as they bring you the best fantasy draft strategies. Find Lockdown Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network where it's your team every day. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. Helps me out a lot. So thanks in advance and thanks to everyone who's done so already. Also, please smash that subscribe button if you haven't already, if you're on YouTube. Thanks again for listening today. Can't wait to be with you again three more times this week. You are now Locked on Giants.